0: Jesus, I crave to know You to know You will satisfy my soul. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 177. Thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode. We are continuing our reading of Understanding Biblical End Times. Um, so we'll jump right back into it, uh, picking up where we left off on page 77, question number three. What are the birth pains, or pains, discussed in the Bible, and what is the significance? This question is a reference from Matthew 24, 4-8, through 8, which says, "...and Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray." Mark writes this similar thing in Mark thirteen eight. Traditionally, we hold to this idea that these birth pains detail the traumatic events that foretell the coming destruction and judgment of the whole world. While judgment will come when the Father says it's time, we miss a critical piece of the whole point of the analogy – Jesus illustrated this very intentionally in terms of childbirth. Consider this scripture in Romans eight nineteen through twenty three, which says, quote, "For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it." In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait. Eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Quote. The pains of childbirth are to reveal sons and daughters of God. The pain of delivery is the result of birthing children, not judgment. The pains are not pains of judgment and wrath to come. Many Christians have gotten in such a way of thinking that all they are interested in is leaving rather than redeeming. We have forsaken our post and become intoxicated with the mentality of departing and permitted a chasm to form where there should have been a bridge. We have not yet tasted full redemption in this life we currently live, but only a down payment. There is much more to come. There is unhindered, pure, and problem-free fellowship with God through Christ awaiting us upon the return of the Lord. Still, we, have not to, we are not to forsake our purpose of spreading the light of Jesus just because there is still darkness in the world. You are the light of the world. If it's dark, it's because your basket is on. Question number four. What does the Bible speak of regarding the third temple? Recall that Solomon built the first temple around 957 BC. Babylon destroyed that temple around 587 BC following the deportation of Jews to Babylon. Following the defeat of Babylon by Persia, Jews were permitted to begin rebuilding their nation and temple around 538 B.C. Damage and looting of the temple would occur in waves throughout time, but ultimately the destruction of the second temple would occur in 70 A.D. by Rome. Much of what contemporary Christians have based their understanding of end times centers around the rebuilding of a third temple. They claim that the Antichrist will set up his in this temple, proclaiming to be God, which fulfills in their understanding Daniel eleven thirty one through thirty two, also Matthew twenty four, fifteen and 2 Thessalonians 2.4. I have previously expressed that Matthew 24 was fulfilled by 70 AD. Daniel 11 was fulfilled by Hadrian in 132-136 AD. Bible scholars approximate that Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians in 53 AD. Paul's warning to this church came before the destruction of the temple and the massacre of its people through Nero and Hadrian, 70 AD and 132-136 to AD, respectively. The disciple John writes in 1 John 2.18, which says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Quote. John declares that they have had been looking for the Antichrist, and he makes it clear that Antichrists have already come. John clarifies that he who denies the Father and the Son, Jesus, is the Antichrist. John writes in 1 John 4, 2-3, which says, By this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already." We tend to dramatize and sensualize events and miss what is happening right in front of our eyes. The religious in the days of Christ did the very same thing. The very ones who should have recognized His coming expected something different and missed it entirely. I urge us to realize that Antichrist is already among us. Not necessarily embodied by one particular person, but by the work of an evil spirit urging us to live by the flesh. When humanity lives by the desires of the flesh, you end up with Noah's generation, Babel and Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a primary reason Jesus calls us to deny self to follow him. It takes rejection of ourselves to allow anyone to be followed as the leader. We must let Jesus be supreme in our lives and come under his perfect leadership. Because so much of contemporary end times teaching hinges on rebuilding the third temple, it would benefit us to see what the Bible says about such an event. The Babylonians first destroyed the first Jewish temple and the Romans destroyed the second temple. Thus, the next temple built would be the, quote, third temple. Now, let's first consider the implications of a rebuilt temple which reestablishes sacrifices. Hebrews 10, 1 through 10 says, For since the law has But a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book." once for all. End quote. Let's just think reasonably for a moment if God desires to rebuild the temple and for sacrifices to resume. For what purpose did Jesus come and die? Hebrews tells us clearly that if those sacrifices were sufficient, they would not have been stopped being offered. If sacrifices were to resume, that would attempt to add to the work of Christ if sacrifices were to resume that would be new wine in an old wine skin and a new patch onto an old garment several scriptures are attributed to the third temple prophecy including jeremiah 33 daniel 9:27 amos 9:11 isaiah 2:2 through 3 2 Thessalonians 2, 3-4, and Revelation 11, 1 through 2 Since we have previously addressed some of these scriptures, I will not spend much time reestablishing their context. We will look at each briefly and individually. Jeremiah 33 is written within the historical backdrop of Jerusalem's pending fall to Babylon. Jeremiah is writing this from prison confinement. God is declaring the fall of Israel to the enemy because of Israel's wickedness. God God does have a message of hope, healing, prosperity, and abundance that will come to pass after God's judgment. The strongest verse in Jeremiah that whispers the possibility of the requirement of a temple is found in Jeremiah thirty-three seventeen through 18 which says, quote, For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priests shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. It is important to remember that Jesus fulfills both priest and king for Israel and all who come to know him. The Bible clarifies this in many places, including Hebrews four, Matthew twenty seven thirty seven, Timothy six fifteen, Hebrews one eight, Revelation fifteen, verse three, and Matthew twenty five thirty four. A great comparison we see in Hebrews is Jesus our priest who quote arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, Hebrews seven fifteen. Melchizedek was, quote, king of Salem and priest of the Most High God, Hebrews 7.1. This king served a dual role of king-priest and had no known beginning or end of life. Jesus came in the likeness of Melchizedek. So, when the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah that Israel would never lack a king or priest, that became fulfilled through Jesus Christ. To go back to the previous way of priest and king would be to devalue the role of Christ. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.16 saying, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Again he writes in 1 Corinthians 6:19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God?" Quote. Paul writes in Ephesians 2:19 through 22 which says Paul outlines that those who belong to God through Christ have become the house and temple of God. In 1 Peter 2, 4-8, Peter says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, that stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense." End quote. Peter confirms this new temple building as Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. The believers in Christ are living stones that make up his new temple, Jesus' new family of believers offers spiritual sacrifices, which is offering ourselves to God through Christ. Paul clarifies this in Romans 12:1, which says, quote, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. End quote. The king has changed, The priest has changed. The temple and sacrifice have changed. To go backward would be to devalue God's plan. Daniel 9.27 says, quote, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. As I have stated before, I believe Daniel 11 is fulfilled through Hadrian. This chapter is a detailed description of Israel's prophetic future. However, as we read it, it will be Israel's past. Such prophetic accuracy causes many to believe that it was written after the occurrence. They fail to understand the God of the universe who created all things sees the beginning and end before either happens. He can communicate to His servants as both warning and peace during tribulation and trouble. As I have detailed, Matthew twenty-four fifteen describes a time fulfilled in 70 AD and not a future day prophecy. 2 Thessalonians 2.4 details an event that must occur as a prelude to the return of the Lord. Since Hadrian can fulfill this prerequisite, this would tell us that nothing prevents, i.e. must occur before, the second coming of Jesus Christ. He will come to reunite himself with his followers and judge sin and death. This reality is a primary driver for why it's important to understand we are not waiting for a temple nor an embodied Antichrist for the second coming of Christ to take place. All criteria have been met for the return of the Lord. Many have different objections to this statement, and I'm well prepared for a critical view of such a stance. More than ever, it is important to give people everywhere a clear understanding that the time of the return of Jesus can occur any time. A time of harvest, reuniting and judgment will happen. And there will be no additional opportunities. This is why rapture theology teaching is dangerous, as it was in the days of Noah, and so shall it be at the coming of the Lord. Matthew 24:37. This tells us there are no second opportunities for the boat door to open. Genesis 7:16. Believing that there will be additional opportunities after the supposed rapture for people to be reconciled to God is dangerously misleading. It puts people on the dangerous ground of remaining lost. Explicitly, I believe that what we call the rapture is more biblically the second coming of Christ to reclaim His bride and judge sin and death. I do not hold to the thinking that a temple must be rebuilt, nor do I believe that it would be God's desire to do so. I do not believe that an embodied Antichrist must sit in it in some future date and break a three-and-one-half-year mid-tribulation covenant where persecution increases. Nor do I believe that these things must occur before the return of Christ. While I believe that persecution can increase, if the light of Christ increases, darkness decreases. This will conclude uh, part eight of our reading from Understanding Biblical End Times. We will carry on Question number five in the next episode, is the mark of the beast an actual mark? And we will then conclude um, the the reading of Understanding Biblical End Times. Thank you for listening. We will see you on the next one. God bless.